Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we were traveling, Mary Alice and I were traveling to Wisconsin to take a week where I was just going to do some riding and planning for the year. And uh, we were going through Kansas City, and we saw a church. I don't know if any of the rest of you have seen this building or not. It was just right at the junction of highways, but it was a red brick church. And some of the, some of the letters had fallen off of it, and all it said was church. You know, the building looks about 50 years old, and it just said church. And, you know, I'm being curious as I am. And I wonder, what kind of church is it? Is it just a generic church, you know? Or what kind of church is it? Well, if you ever come into New Spring and you're new to us, which many of us have been, and, um, New Spring's grown by almost 1,000 a year the last three years, um, you could wonder what kind of church this is. And, and, and oftentimes when that question is asked, what kind of church is it, generally we, we ask it for the wrong kind of reason because we're thinking about denominations. What, you know, is it a Baptist church, Methodist church, Presbyterian, Catholic? What kind of church is it? But you know, of course, that there were no denominations, uh, actually no, nothing that we even, even get close to a denomination for uh, 300 years or so, 400 years after, after the first century, and church got so screwed up by that point. And I'm not knocking denominations because denominations do a lot of good. It's just I want you to be cognizant of the fact that there, there was no such thing as denominations in the first century. There was just the church. And so you could come into New Spring and you could say, well, what kind of church is this? And that's a fair question. And I hope that this morning and in the next two or three weeks, we can, we can get somewhere down the line of answering the question of what kind of church we are. But you know, of course, that New Spring is not part of a denomination. It has not been since its inception in 1964. It's always been an independent church. And here at New Spring, our goal is to try to replicate what the church is according to the Bible, because the Bible is our source for everything. Uh, we don't think that it makes any difference if a group of men sit around in a room and make it up as they go along and make a rule here and there. That, that doesn't mean anything to New Springers. We just want to know one question. What do the Scriptures say? And as the primary communicator here, I try not to stop an inch short of the Scriptures, and I try not to go an inch past them. Because at the end of the day, I'm well cognizant of the fact that really, you guys don't care what I think. You shouldn't care what I think. What matters is what does God have to say? But I do want to take some time today and the next three weeks to talk about New Spring in a series called DNA. And it's something you should know. Usually whenever I bring a series, it's got a brand and that brand comes and goes with the series. DNA is going to be more like watermark. Uh, from time to time, we will have a DNA sermon or we'll have another DNA series. DNA is going to become uh, the brand that we use whenever we talk about a vision series, and that's what this message is about. I know it may not have the same sort of deep heart appeal that some of our messages have, but at the same time, it's important for us as a church. And if you're visiting with us, as I know a number, actually, I, last night I found out we had pastors visiting with us in the Saturday service, and and uh, so that's great. If, if you're a guest here, I hope that this is meaningful and helpful. But if you're a New Springer, either you've decided to commit to New Spring, or if you're a New Springer at heart, you haven't yet committed to New Spring, but we're your church, this is going to be helpful for us because we're going to just take some time and look at what we are about as a church. I love the study of DNA. I don't know much about it. I'm not a scientist. I'm not even good at science. But I just to me, DNA is... Well, well, honestly, I, I couldn't be an atheist and even look very hard at DNA. When you think about all the information that's contained in that double helix, I mean, it's amazing how much uh, information is there. And, and the idea that even with all of our intelligence, we could not create DNA. We, we're proud of ourselves for learning to manipulate it. But uh, I just wanted to come up with the simplest definition I could 
for uh, deoxyribonucleic acid, and, and one scientist tried to give it in simple terms. And here's what he said. DNA is the master molecule of every cell. It contains vital information that gets passed on to each successive generation. That one sentence, this scientist has pretty well talked to us about the two main issues of DNA. Number one, it's identity. Number two, it is the replication of life. It's, it coordinates the making of itself as well as other molecules. And here's where I think we're going to now reach a point of nexus between the physical DNA and the DNA of a church. Think about this. If it is changed slightly, serious consequences may result. If it is destroyed beyond repair, the cell dies. So I want you to understand that from myself and the other leaders who serve New Spring, we're really aware of that, that next to last statement. If it's altered slightly, if the DNA of New Spring becomes altered slightly, everything that we see God doing can be dramatically, well, curtailed or changed. And so it's very important to us that all of us understand what New Spring is about, what our DNA is, because as we grow, so many of us come from different backgrounds. Many of you come to New Spring and we are your first church. In fact, you never were, well, I, you know I hate the term religious, but let's just use it in a generic sense. You never were religious. And so you came to New Spring and you heard about a church that hates religion and you came here and you said, yeah, I love this. And sometimes I think you're the best off among us, you know, because you don't have to unlearn anything. You don't have to shake all the hay out of your hair that th some of the rest of us are working through. Others of us went to church when we were little, but it never made any sense. And we came back to church now because we've got kids and or maybe we've gone through a difficult time in life and that brought us back to New Spring. And, and so I think it's probably not as difficult for you to process this. But the group among us that this is going to be the most challenging for will be the group like me that grew up in church and has been in church all of our lives. And we were sort of in churches that were well-intentioned churches, but they weren't effective. And we came to New Spring because it was effective. But at the same time, we still have some of that junk in the trunk that we, that we, cut, we, we picked up along the way in traditional churches. And it's like, well, why doesn't New Spring do this? I'm going to talk about that today, and I'm going to talk about the DNA of New Spring. Now, if you like to read your Bible, let me tell you about two of the most overlooked chapters in all the scriptures, two of the most important chapters, Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Now, most of the time when I use the term revelation, the word revelation, people think about, well, revelation is all about last day events, and that's that last book of the Bible that freaks me out and scares me, so I never read it. But you should know that Revelation doesn't start talking about end time events until chapter 4. Chapters 1 through 3 are very interesting because Jesus appears to John on the island of Patmos and he does something, and those of you who like to study your Bible, you, you may find this interesting. Jesus does something in Revelation 2 and 3 that he never has done before. He talks directly to the church. When you take your Bible in your hands, you have two sections, correct? You have the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, that means the old way of doing things, and you have the New Testament or the New Covenant, the new way of doing things. Now what's interesting about the New Testament is we include the books Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are all biographies of Jesus while he was on the earth. But the interesting thing about that is that's sort of a transition period. The clutch is depressed during that time, and Jesus is still primarily dealing with the Old Covenant. In John chapter 1, the Bible says Jesus came into his own people, and his own people received him not. So primarily, when Jesus was on the earth, it was about the Jewish nation. Now, was he laying the foundation for the church? Absolutely. Did he teach a lot of things, like the Sermon on the Mount, Olivet Discourse, other things? Did he teach a lot of things that are relational to the church? 
absolutely. But he never talked directly to the church until you get to Revelation chapters 2 and 3. We did a series called Red Letters, and in Red Letters we said that the reason why the printers set aside those red letters is because they're words of Jesus. If you have a red letter Bible, when you get into Revelation 2 and 3, most of it's in red. And here's what's going down in Revelation 2 and 3. And if you're a Christ follower, you need to know about what's in these two chapters. And if we have any other pastors visiting like we did last night, trust me, you need to keep these two chapters in your, in your vest pocket. Because you and I need to know how Jesus feels about the church. Most pastors are totally messed up because they're playing politics with their congregation. And, and they're feeling pressure where they don't need to feel pressure. Let me just tell you something. At the end of the day, a man or, who is a leader of a ministry is going to answer to God, not to anyone else. And so it's very important that he keeps that first and foremost, that what the church is about is what Jesus is leading the church to be. And so um, that's important to me, and I, I, I don't get very far away from this. Now, all that aside, let me just tell you in real quick sketch what you'll find in Revelation 2 and 3. It's report card day. Jesus is handing down analysis of seven churches, individual churches. And he is telling them what's right with them and what's wrong with them. I'll try to walk you through this real fast. The first church is the church at Ephesus. And I don't know what the grade would have been. I mean, I'm trying to sort through what Jesus get teaching. I'm guessing Ephesus would have got a B plus. Because if you look at Jesus' teaching, you know, what he does is he lines out what they're doing well, and then he lines out their issues. And when you look at Ephesus, it was doing so many things well. And many of us came from a church like Ephesus. And frankly, I think that's what New Spring was for a lot of years. Ephesus was a church that taught the Bible. And they were very strong in their teaching. And they made sure that they didn't cut any corners. And if God said it, they weren't afraid to articulate it. They lifted up Jesus Christ. They weren't squeamish about saying Jesus is the way to heaven. They were good about that. If any false teachers ever wandered into the church and tried to teach something that wasn't true, they shut them down. And work, the Greek word for labor that Jesus used was to labor to the point of exhaustion. So let's add it up. This was a great church. They were true to the word of God. They were faithful. They worked to the point of exhaustion. Jesus said, I just got one issue with you. You've lost your love. Have you ever been in a church like that? I mean, they, they were right in their position, but wrong in their disposition. In fact, I think there is there's something endemic to churches that are like this, that are so strong about making sure that they cross every T and dot every I, and that's a good thing. Teaching is a good thing, and being right, and, and, and being, you know, faithful to stand up for the truth, that is a good thing. But if you've ever been in a church like that, you know that every once in a while, a little bit of pride can develop. We are the insiders and there are people that don't believe what we believe, and they're on the outside, and the people on the outside can feel like that kind of church hates them. Jesus said, hey, you guys better get that love thing straight, or I'm going to shut you down. Can you imagine Jesus talking to his own church like that? Then next there was the church at Thyatira. Thyatira was the exact opposite of the church at Ephesus. Thyatira, oh man, they were a loving church. If you walked into the church at Thyatira, man, you'd feel embraced, you'd feel loved. We just love everybody. We're inclusive, we're embracing everyone. The only problem was they were allowing teaching that wasn't true to go on. And Jesus said, you better get that straight or I'm going to shut you down. And I don't know, maybe they got a C. And then there was a church at Pergamos. The, the, the city of Pergamos, the name itself means marriage. And Jesus used that term 
in kind of a double meaning kind of way. It was a church that, according to Jesus, was married to the culture. And Jesus said, you know, they, they were the politically correct church. Whatever the, whatever, you know, this was the church that, Oprah's not on anymore, but this would be the church of Oprah. <laughs> you know, this, this would be the church that, you know, everybody in the media would want to interview because, after all, they're never going to say anything that's going to unsettle tender sensibilities. You know, this would be the church that just said, oh, we don't ever want anyone to ever accuse us. We're just, and Jesus gave them a blistering indictment because he said you won't stand up for anything. And then there was the church at Sardis. Jesus said to the church at Sardis, you have a reputation for being alive, but I know you're dead. Wow. D minus. Now, how does the church get a reputation for being alive but dead? Well, the only thing I can think of, I mean, obviously they could have been hypocritical, but I, I don't think that was it. And, and, and some of you, are gonna, this is going to resonate with you because you've been in churches like this. At one point, it was a great church. It had earned a reputation. It had a season in the sun. It had a time. It had, it had, there, there was a moment in time when this church was really hot and happening. But somewhere along the line, they quit worrying about pleasing God, and they started living on their reputation. We are the great first so-and-so church in Sardis. And boy, I mean, they, and all their media and everything, it was like, wow, we're the going church. And Jesus said, you're not going, you're in park. You're dead. Laodicea, the church that got the F. And yet Laodicea, you know, Laodicea thought they were going to get an A+. You know why? This was the church with the bank account. This was the church with plenty of money. This was the church with the richest people in town as members. And they said, we don't need anything. We got everything we need. We got money in the bank. We don't need anything. And Jesus said, you don't know. You're poor, miserable, blind, wretched, and naked. It was not a good thing to be in the seven churches, well, on, at least in five of them, on the day of report cards. But with all the issues that they all had, I'm guessing that they just thought, well, I guess, you know, nobody's doing very well. So I guess we're all just, you know, misery loves company. Do you remember when you're in school or in college? Some of you are there now. And a teacher or professor gives an exam, and everybody fails. You get, your, you get your paper, it's 48. And you're thinking, oh, my soul. And you start checking around, well, I got 52, I got 26. <laughs> and you're thinking, that test was too hard. Everybody failed. Now, I don't know, I'm an, I'm an old guy. Do, do people still use this term, grading on the curve? Because that's what everybody hopes for. You know, if everybody makes an F, you just, you just hope, okay, you know, the, the, let's just take the highest F, 66. I declare that 100. Everything is scaled from there. Now, I don't know what it was like in your school, but there was always one kid in the class, <laughs> usually a girl, <laughs> would hold up her A-plus and say, I didn't think it was so hard, <laughs> and bust the curve. Well, that's the way it was with the seven churches, because, I mean, Jesus is like saying, okay, you guys, Ephesus, you don't have the love you need to have, Thyatira, you got false doctrine going on, Pergamos, man, you're a mess, you're married to the world, and Sardis, you think you're alive, but you're dead, Laodicea, you got a big bank account, but nothing else going on, uh, well, everybody, we're okay, and then he came to the church at Philadelphia, and Philadelphia got an A+. 
It was something that Jesus would say to the church at Philadelphia that makes me address you this morning, if you're a New Springer or if you love New Spring. In fact, I want to do something. I want to read to you Jesus' message to the church that broke the curve. Let's start in Revelation 3, verse 7. Jesus said to John, write this letter to the angel of the church at Philadelphia. Now, <laughs> you need to know John is not supposed to write a letter to an angel. Uh, people don't deliver messages to angels. Angels deliver messages to people. Well, let me explain to you what the angel of the church is. <clears throat> angel there is from the Greek word angelos that means messenger. In fact, that's the reason why we use the term angel in reference because most of the time angels are bringing messages. So we call them that. They bring messages. Well, what, who would be the messenger of the church? It would be the pastor. be the leader. God calls leaders to lead churches. Now, what's interesting about this from my vantage point is two things. Number one, well, let me just say this. Churches can hire staff, but they can't hire, well, actually, there are only two kinds of pastors. There are hirelings and there are shepherds. And a church can't hire a man of God. A man of God has to be called to a place. And, and I just say that because we have many, many people from many churches. This is on television. One of the things I want to make clear is you cannot buy a man of God. Uh, honestly, I know that firsthand. I am not here because I thought of coming to Kansas. In fact, Mary, I told Mary Alice when we were going to chapel one day in Texas, I'll go anywhere God sends me except Kansas. <laughs> With all the bravado of a 19-year-old. God has a marvelous sense of humor. And guys, for the last 26 years, I want to tell you, I'm not here because I chose to be here. I'm here because God called me here. And I love it now. I can't imagine being anyplace else. But you also need to understand that as a leader here, what really gives me butterflies is I have to give an account to God for New Spring Church. Do you realize every Christian at New Spring has to give one account? I have to give two. I have to give an account for my own life, and for the last 26 years, I have to give an account for New Spring Church. And God does, I mean, we have wonderful staff, we have wonderful boards, but God isn't going to hold a board accountable for New Spring, nor is he going to hold a staff accountable. God's going to hold me accountable. And I look on that and I think back. You know what's interesting about that is <clears throat> there have been a handful of moments where I've had, through the years, I've had to dig my feet in and say, this is the direction we're going. On every one of those occasions, I was doing what was personally uncomfortable. I wasn't doing that for myself. If I was doing what I wanted to do for my own comfort, I would have never done that. I would have been so glad to go with the status quo. But the thing is, as I look back on these 26 years, and maybe this is more than you want to know, I've done some things that, as far as leadership goes, bold, bold steps that I've led this church to do, and controversial steps oftentimes that resulted in great controversy. It's been a long time since then. Those are the moments that I look forward to answering for. You know the moments I don't look forward to answering for? When I played it safe. And I just say that in case we have any pastors here, we have any pastors watching on television, is God has called a minister to lead. And, and God gave this message to John and said, hold the shepherd accountable for this message. Hold the shepherd accountable for leadership. Well, I'm getting scared just thinking about that, okay? <laughs> All right, here's the message. In chapter 3, verse 8, I know the things you do. Well, I left out a word. I know all the things you do. Jesus said to the messenger at this church, I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. If you read previous to that, 
He introduced himself as the one who closes a door that no one can open. And when God closes a door, nobody can open that door. We know that from the story of the ark. When God closed the ark door, that was it. No one couldn't open it anymore. When God closed the door in the story that Jesus told of the five wise and the five foolish women, when the door was closed, it was closed. And I think that's true for a church. Sometimes God looks down on a church that has quit living up to the vision that he lays out, and there's a time when I think it is God who closes the door. And that when that door is closed, it doesn't matter what strategy that church implements, it doesn't matter what techniques they try to bring in, that door is closed. Jesus said, I am the one who closes the door and nobody opens, and then he said, but I'm the one who opens the door and nobody, nobody can close it. And Jesus said to the church of Philadelphia, I tell you what, I'm giving you guys unlimited potential to gain ground for the kingdom. Now, maybe you could say that I, I'm articulating this because it's what I want to believe. Well, I'm not a lawyer. It's been a long time since I've been a debater, but I think I can make a pretty compelling case for this. Because I can tell you in 26 years, there has never been a time, listen to me, there has never been a time when New Spring Church needed something that we didn't have. Now, there have been times when God ran it to the last minute and scared the very life out of me. I want to tell you, there are things that I look back, this building right here, you know, our smallest service is on Saturday night and 6.30, and we're trying to get people to move to it. Do you realize that smallest service that we have, that was about the size of the church when we moved out here. A, a, a church of 600 people. I mean, for eight years, from the day I started looking for land till our first service in May of 1999, for eight years, this was impossible until the Tuesday before our first service. I'm so scared when I think back on that thing. What in the world was I thinking? I'm scared to look back on it. I mean, but I can just tell you there never was a moment that we had anything that needed something that we didn't have. But let me tell you something that's even bigger than that. For those of you especially who are new, there has not been any bold initiative that this church has stepped out to achieve that God did not allow us to have. Why? Because we are the church with the open door. Now that sounds attractive at first blush, and it is attractive, and I'm delighted to be a pastor of a church with an open door, and you should be delighted to be part of that. But there's a little bit of a hook in that. Because if we are the church with the open door and we have unlimited potential to gain ground for the kingdom of God, we are limited only by our own vision and our own ability to serve it and to step out and fund what needs to happen. And in other words, the only limitation that could happen in New Spring Church, we're not limited by the media, we're not limited by the culture, we're not limited by people whose worldview is 180 degrees different from our own. We're not limited by any of those things. Why? Because Jesus is the one who opens a door for a church and nobody can close it. Every day of the week, practically, there's some church calling us, asking us, what is your secret? Tell us what you did. And we want to say, it's not about what we did, it's what we care about. And there was a moment when we cared about the right things and pushed all the chips to the middle of the table to believe Christ, and then he opened the door and the rest is history. What is the church supposed to do? I ask this question because many of us, and I've got to watch the time, many of us come from traditional churches. Let me just rant for a minute, and I promise I'll quit. 20th century was the most prolific age in the history of the world by exponential factors. We saw huge advances in the areas of science, technology, medi medicine, transportation, business. But do you realize that by the end of the 20th century, 85% of American churches 
were either plateaued, flatlined, or in decline. And of the 15% that were growing, 14% out of that 15% were growing merely because, well, we quit becoming fishers of men and we became keepers of the aquarium. People were just swapping churches. And one church would grow at another church's expense. That, that, that means 1% of American churches were growing organically by building bridges to people that weren't spiritually resolved. Can you believe that? In the most prolific time in the history of mankind, the 20th century, the Church of Jesus Christ, by the end of that great century, was on a downward trajectory. And let me tell you one of the reasons why I believe that happened. I believe, you know, if, you're, if you play golf, and I, I, I love golf, they say, they're, you know, if you love golf, it'll break your heart. It's like marriage. But in any event, um, I will just tell you this. First, line, first thing I ever learned about golf is keep your head still and your eye on the ball, and I still need to think about that when I play. And what happens to churches a lot of times is we take our eye off the ball. What, what is it exactly that we're supposed to accomplish? Because here's the deal. Churches can get involved in a million good things. But if we don't get involved in the God things, if we don't get into the assignments that God has given us, we can lose our effectiveness while we're doing good things. When Jesus left, he left the church with three assignments. And being ADD and not lacking list, I'm really thankful that there are only three things he asked us to do. That's a challenge for me just to remember three things. Here's the Great Commission. Jesus said, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I've given you. Now, listen, I'm talking to some of you who are traditional Christians, and you want to go to graduate school. You want to say, what's next? Let me tell you what's next after those three things. You go back and you start over again. Number one. Introduce people to Jesus Christ. Number two, lead them to be baptized. Baptism doesn't save anybody, but it is that public coming out. It is that public saying, I want everybody to know I'm identified with Jesus Christ. That's why at New Spring, we have watermark celebrations at least four times a year. We're about to have one in September. And it could be that you've accepted Jesus. You say, Mark, I've already done that first thing. I've accepted Christ, but I've never gone public with my faith. Hey, we want to invite you to take that step. Because in believer's baptism, a person is placed below the water, showing the death and burial of Jesus Christ. They're brought up out of the water, celebrating his resurrection. And they're saying, I want everybody to know I'm identified with him. And the people in the Bible were always baptized after they put faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's your personal story. It's not your parents' story. It's your story. So Jesus said to the church, I want you to do three things. Number one. Introduce people to me. Give them the, the, the gospel is the good news. What is the good news? The good news is that anyone, anywhere, regardless of what you've done, you can be forgiven because your sins have been paid for by Jesus Christ. And if you invite him into your life and make him king of your life, everything that you've done in the past that's wrong, anything you could do in the future that is wrong has been placed on Jesus Christ and his perfect record has been applied to you and nothing can ever take you out of God's family. Get that message, number two lead people to go public with their faith, and then number three, show them how to live. That's the job of a church. Now, at New Spring, we go out of our way to be very simple. Most churches have lost, long since lost the vision of those three things, mostly because in America we really don't believe in an afterlife anymore and we're focused on this life. But there are churches doing all kinds of good things, and they've left behind the very thing that would bring them life. 
So at New Spring, we only have five things that we focus on. Every once in a while, someone will come into New Spring from a very traditional church, and they'll think, okay, well, New Spring is such an awesome church. If only they did this, if only they did that, and you need to know that what we do is intentional. There was a time when we had a million programs. But we were doing a whole lot of things, and we weren't doing any of them well. Now, here's the deal. We understand that when you walk out of these doors, you're going to get involved in a whole lot of good things and a whole lot of good ministries, and that's, that's how it should happen. But at New Spring, I will tell you, we're pushing to the breaking point to see five things happen. And if we take our eye off the ball and start getting involved in other things, it won't be long before these five things will suffer. These are the five things that we're about, and let me lay them out for you. Number one, we're about kids. I believe kids are our most important audience. You know, in a lot of churches today, they have adult ministries. They, they spend a lot of money on teen ministries as well they should. But when it comes to kids, kids are almost an afterthought. i got to tell you something. I was in too many churches where kids' environments were institutional. You sit down in a metal chair, and you listen to a man or woman lecture for 45 minutes. You know, I, how many of those classes did I have in Sunday school? Put your hands in your lap, be still, boys and girls, and no talking. Man, I just checked out. I cannot understand for the very life of me, why would you take the most important audience and, and, and take the most important message? and cloak it in institutional verbiage and environments. See here at New Spring, you know, if you're new to New Spring, you can wonder, well, what's the deal with the environments? I mean, because here's the deal. If you come for the series of the decade, which, is, which starts September 10th and 11th, and I hear you chuckling out there. I mean, when you come here, it is going to blow your mind when you see the set. I mean, the, it's going to look like the landing pad of a hospital up here. There's going to be a 25-foot-long helicopter hanging partially over your head and coming in for a landing. Why do we do those kinds of things? Because environments are important. If you go into the kids' environments, it looks like a kids' environment. Student, it looks like a student environment. Why? Why is that important? Guys, why is it important? Because our purpose statement says, the first line of our purpose statement is we exist to help people connect with Jesus Christ. I cannot connect you with Jesus. But you know what I can do? I can set the table. We can create the environment. See, environments are important because environments are where certain things happen. And if I sound like I'm ranting, I am. I mean, I just see churches just mail it in. The most important message in the world and they mail it in. You know, I mean, here's the thing. Think about this. ICU unit, that's an environment. I walk into an ICU unit, I know something happens there. I go into Chuck E. Cheese, I know something happens there. Those are environments. ICU unit is a lousy place for a five-year-old birthday party. If I have a heart attack, don't take me to Chuck E. Cheese. So here, you know, when I talk about kids, it's so important. I mean, kids are important. Everything we do is to open environments where, where kids can can know about Jesus. I mean, you know, I, I'm used to the criticism we get from time to time, and, you know, especially, you know, people that, that, that talk from, from more traditional ministries that like that institutional lecture the kids, and they say, all, all they're doing at New Spring is they're just entertaining the kids. Wrong E. We're engaging the kids. We're engaging. You talk to one of these kids and see what they're learning. We had a family experience Friday night. That was the first one we had. Packed out the place. I, they're going to have to start using the worship center for that. Why do we do that? Why are kids so important to us at New Spring? I mean, they're finally rebuilding my office. Five years ago, I gave away my first office to the three-year-olds. My second office was given away to the four-year-olds. Why do we live that way? Well, for one reason, 
I think about a time when people were bringing their kids to Jesus for him to bless, and the disciples, big pastors that they were, were saying, get these kids out of here. Jesus is only for adults. Get these kids out of here. When Jesus saw this, verse 14 says, he was indignant. He wasn't indignant with the families, and he sure wasn't indignant with his kids. He was indignant with his, his posse. He said to them, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter. And he took the children, can you just imagine this? He took the children in his arms, and he put his hands on them, and he blessed them. I mean, kids were important. In fact, Jesus said, listen, unless you become like a little child, in other words, you're going to have to humble yourself and and see the simplicity of the gospel just like a child does. You know, I love love Watermark for Kids World. I mean, you hear these kids. Every one of our kids made a video. They told about their faith. They said they were going public with their faith. I mean, I was hearing seven, eight, nine-year-olds articulate the gospel. Every race from every part of the world. Man, I love that. Number one, we are about kids. And we start early here. Our, our, our slogan is we don't just babysit, we teach. And that starts even in the nursery. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Paul was writing a young protege. He was writing a young pastor named Timothy. When you look in your Bible, you'll see First and Second Timothy. These were letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. They'd be like if I was writing Jonathan, because Timothy was like a son to Paul. Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Now, that might not mean much to you at first, But in the Greek language, there are several words for child. One is technon, that's just a child at any age. The second word is paideia, that's a little child. But that's not, Paul didn't use either one of those words. He said, from a brephos. Well, a brephos could be an infant in in, in her mother's womb. You, You remember reading in the nativity story when Mary, who was now pregnant with Jesus, came to visit Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, the Bible says the brephos, the baby leaped in her womb when they were told that they would find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger when Jesus was born. It was the brephos. Brephos was a term either for a newborn or for a babe in her mother's womb. And Paul wrote Timothy, and he said, from a brephos, you have known the Holy Scriptures that put you on the right path. And and, and that is what we're about at New Spring. We want our kids from the earliest of ages to be introduced to Jesus, their best friend. Kids, students, second ministry at New Spring that drives us as students. I love the story where David wants to fight Goliath, and he's just a teenage boy. And his king says to him, you know, you can just see him sort of laugh and think, well, you know, just that's a teenager for you. And he said, you don't have any chance against Goliath. He said, you're just a youth. And then when, when Goliath saw David, the enemy, I love how the message puts it. As the Philistine paced back and forth, he took one look down on him and sneered, a mere youngster, apple cheek and peach fuzzed. 
Do you know, and, and, and if you're a high schooler in here today, you know how this is. You, you get underestimated inside the family of God and outside the family of God. In so many churches today, the idea is if you've got teenagers, you just want to keep them occupied. You know, what are we going to do for the teenagers? We're just going to pizza parties. We're just going to keep them occupied. Well, good thing for pizza parties, but we're a little deeper than that. And then there are people on the outside that say, well, you know, teenagers, this is just the time for them to become sexually active and start using some substances and discover what the real world is like, you know, and then they can start getting some discipline as they get older. We don't believe that at all. We believe here, like David, teenagers have the power to make history. In fact, in these two services that you're in today, I don't think we could pull them off if they weren't for the junior hires and high schoolers who are volunteering right now as we speak. We believe students have the power to make history here at New Spring. And then number three, community. You know what it's like at New Spring on a Sunday? It's like a stadium, and, and, and it's a wonderful experience, but you need that community. You need that closeness with other believers, and that's why we have connection groups, and singles ministry is about to expand greatly here and this is not exactly in that vein, but we also have starting point. That's it for seekers, starters, and returners. If you, if you just want to know more about God, we're having an orientation for starting point next week, and you can sign up for that. It's in a living room format. It's a great opportunity to just go back to the basics. And it's, it's an it's a open discussion where you can talk to other people who are exploring faith. Next step is the next thing after starting point. It's a great opportunity. Why is it good to get together with other Christians in a small group? Ecclesiastes 4 9 says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And in the next verse, it says, Two are good, three are better. I'm guessing Tim would be even better than that. So I want you to think about that. Number four is missions. That's what happens outside our church. I'm going to talk about that next week, so I'll skip it right now. And by process of elimination, you already know what number five is. Number five is the worship experience. And even though the worship experience here at New Spring has praise and worship and it has a talk, we don't look at that as two different things. We look at it as one integrated experience. In fact, so many times, if you think about the talk, if I'm in a particular series, you'll notice that the worship songs that we sing are very close to that talk. Why? Because we want this whole 65 minutes, or if I go overtime, 75 minutes. <laughs> we want this to be a time when you encounter God. Think about a worship experience. Part of it is you going up. Because you are, we use the terms praise and worship. Let me parse those for you. Praise means we're telling God how awesome he is. Worship means that we're bowing down before him. The word for worship is proskuneo. It means to be face down before God. And we have, even though we may not do those things physically, we hold those attitudes in our heart. We're saying, God, you're awesome. And God, I need you. I want to worship you. I want to bow down before you. And then there's the talk. And in the talk, my, well, let me just read to you my responsibility in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. That's New Spring. We do those five things. We don't do them as well as we want to, but we want to do them well. All five of those things have a direct line to the three things Jesus talked about. Enrolling pupils, followers, family members in the kingdom of God, baptizing, going public with your faith, 
And number three, training people to live like Jesus. Well, I'm in overtime, aren't I? Good night. I need to get a watch that moves slower. What's your part? I mean, do you realize what a rare opportunity it is to be part of a church with an open door? For God to have done what he's done in this place, and by the way, all glory to him, not to us. We don't even understand it. But for you to be in a church with an open door, what does that mean? Traditional churches are filled with two kinds of people oftentimes, consumers and critics. That's not what we need. We need help. One of the things that you can do when you walk into New Spring, I know things look like they just hum here, but I want you to know we're also holding on by our fingernails. I mean, it takes us 500 volunteers to pull off a weekend. And you know what? We need you. You say, Mark, me, I, I'm not talented. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You know, we have a one spiritual, we have a one question spiritual gifts test. And that's what you, what do you like to do? Because that's what we want you doing. I don't twist people's arms for money. I don't twist people's arms for volunteering. I hope you feel that. I mean, my belief is, look, if you believe in what New Spring is doing, if you believe in our vision, if you believe in our DNA, I believe you're going to have a passion to step up and help. And, and, and there are probably a thousand people who volunteer at New Spring, and, and they make New Spring. I mean, to me, I mean, when you walk around and you see these pictures on the walls, I mean, notice that there are every kinds of person, all ages, pretty much from every strata of life. By the way, we do have more space on our walls. We need you. And we need you doing what you like. You say, oh, I like working with kids. Well, we got about 12, 1,400 of them. <laughs> you say, well, Mark, if you put me in front of a group of people, I'd freak, but I love tech. Oh, boy. Everything we do is about sound. It's about word. It's about image. It's about video. I mean, we, we need people to help with tech. And you say, well, I, I don't, I, I could, if you put me in front of a crowd, I'd freak out, but I can handle a camera or something. Well, hey, come help us. You say, Mark, I... I you know what? I just love hospitality. I love making people feel good. You would love first impressions. From the parking lot to the lobby to the people that help kids and parents find their classes and places. That's why today when you came in, you got a card. And I'm asking you, if you're a new springer, I'm asking you to look at that. And I'm asking you to think about what God might be leading you to do. Now, here's the thing. I want to talk briefly to another group of people here. You've been at New Spring, and you love New Spring, but you've just sort of never taken the step of fully committing by becoming a part of us. I'd love for you to go home today and sign up for a discovery, the next discovery, to say, you know what? I want to be, I want to commit to being a New Springer. Some of you here today, you need to follow the Lord in baptism. There are watermark tables in both places out here. You could stop by the watermark table and make that step. So please, think about that today. Now, I, I'm in so much in overtime. I gotta tell you about something really cool. I really believe the most important age that we deal with is kids, but the most critical age that we have at New Spring is junior high. 
I still believe some of the greatest decisions in life are made at junior high. Eighth grade, I believe, is the most important year of life. And uh, we are starting a brand new ministry next week. In fact, junior high kids are in here this weekend because we're starting a brand new ministry next week called The Wire. And we are really blessed to have a brand new junior high pastor. He actually grew up at New Spring part of the time when he was growing up. He and his wife come to us from Wisconsin. And I'd like for you to watch this video. And then in just a moment, I want to introduce him to you and then we'll leave. Well, my name is Daniel Mahana. I'm the new middle school pastor here at New Spring Church, and we're excited to jump in and get started. I grew up in a small church, and I had the opportunity to go to a church camp, and the speaker there that week was, was talking about, you know, giving your life to serve in ministry, and it just really spoke to me for some reason. It just really excited me. I loved being in a church. I loved uh, learning about God, and so I was kind of young, and I started to pursue that as much as I could. You know, I just, I wanted to give God everything, and um, I started praying for opportunities just, you know, to, to do what I could to serve the Lord. And so I got opportunities to, you know, teach little kids Sunday school. And um, as I got into high school, I, I, when I was a freshman, we went to start going to New Spring Church. And man, I just fell in love with it. I made a lot of friends there and a lot of the youth leaders and the youth pastor just were really good about coming alongside me and, and helping me grow in my walk with the Lord. And it just, you know, it excited me and I, and I just wanted to give everything my whole life to the Lord and, and just do whatever He wanted me to do. One of the things I loved about being in New Spring and growing up there through high school was uh, I got a lot of opportunities to do things um, that I may, didn't really have a chance at school to do. And um, one of them was uh, drama. And we would do dramas for youth group and uh, sometimes we do them on mission trips or at camp. And some of them were a little more embarrassing than others, but it was fun, uh, you know, working as a team and kind of working with your peers and um, just doing something to serve the Lord in a fun and exciting way. One of my favorite age groups is uh, 6th grade to 8th grade. I think because in that time period, we make a lot of big decisions in our life. I know for me, um, between 12 and 13, those are some of the biggest uh, years of my life because I made a lot of decisions about who I wanted to be, what I wanted to believe in, and, and what I wanted to pursue as far as my life goes. And so the Lord's given us a huge burden for that age group. I think a, a lot of people in this world and our society look down on that age group and think that you know they're just kind of in a transition and that um, they're really not that important. Um, but man, we, we just want to be able to jump in, get to know these kids, and, and let them know that God loves them, has a plan for their life, and that He could do great things with them. All right, so if you are in middle school or sixth or eighth grade, um, we would love to have you. We're excited about this new ministry, about um, getting to know all of you guys. So don't miss out. You're going to want to come check it out. It's going to be exciting. Looking forward to it. Would you like to meet Daniel and Rachel this morning? You guys, come on. Daniel, Rachel, we're so glad to have you guys here. I know you guys get cranked up this week. Uh, the parents or friends of junior hires or junior hires may be out here. Tell them what they can expect in the wire. Yeah, uh, we're super excited. I can't talk. We're super excited. Uh, we're calling it the wire. Uh, we're going to launch this off next week. So if you're in middle school or a parent in middle school, we'd love to meet you. Um, but come next week. Everyone gets a free T-shirt if you come. Um, and we're excited to meet you. So thanks. I'll go anywhere for a free T-shirt. Um, yeah. Hi, let me ask you, where will you guys be after service? Uh, we'll be right down here, so so, uh, so if you're a junior high age parent or junior high and you guys want to come meet Daniel and Rachel, talk to them, find out more about The Wire, they'll be right here. Okay, let's stand together. Thank you for being at New Spring. I am so sorry you're in overtime. I'll try to do better next week. Thank you guys for being here.